Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. Good morning to you all. Happy half term. <laughs> to some of you, that means so much. <laughs> to others of you, you probably don't even know what I'm talking about. And then for the rest of us, we're somewhere in the middle. Happy half term. And welcome, most importantly, to the book of Malachi. I am really looking forward to walking through this short book with you over the next few weeks. And uh, we've called this series Return to the Lord. And it's a timely word, I think, for our country, return to the Lord, for this world as we look around and think about you know, the brokenness that we see. And uh, I want to raise your levels of expectation that through this series, you will hear the words of God, if nothing else, because 47 out of 55 verses in this short book are directly from God himself, more than any other prophetic book in the Bible. Um, but before we, I'm trying to multitask here, turn to Malachi as well as speak to you, um, and like a classic man, I can't really multitask, so bear with me one minute. Um, before we tuck in and look at these first five verses, I want to give you some, some background, some context, because some of you I know are Malachi scholars, and you've spent months or years deep in these words. Others of us are, are sort of still trying to grapple with these words. So I thought I would begin, before we pray, by just giving us some context and background. We're then going to pray and then we're going to dive in. So um, Malachi lived about a hundred years after Israel had returned from exile. So that's after they'd been kicked out of, of their land and were exiled by the Babylonians. And God's people had returned to Israel, to, to the land. They were hopeful that they would see all of God's promises fulfilled, that they would see this long-awaited Messiah and that peace and justice would rule and reign in their lives and amongst them as God's people. They had built a new temple and uh, were expectant of seeing God move in powerful ways. But there was a problem, and it was in here, in their hearts, because the condition of the human heart had not changed. And so the people continued to sin, and it led to poverty and injustice and greed. Now, if we zoom out and we look at the whole of the book of Malachi, what we can see is that this book is made up of six conversations or disputes between God and his people. And the, the, the way this works is that God will usually start with a, a statement or an accusation. God's people will then reply, and God will have the final word. And there are six iterations of this, which is why this is a six-part series we're going to go through each of these conversations or disputes, and it will take us right up to the 3rd of December, Advent, as we look forward to Christmas. Now, Trev helpfully 
told us where to find Malachi. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open uh, in printed form or on your phone. So uh, we see it in our Bibles as printed at the end of the Old Testament. But in Jesus' time, in the Scriptures, the Hebrew scrolls, Malachi was not at the end of the Old Testament. Chronicles was at the end of the Old Testament. And if you're wondering, well, why? It's because Chronicles, as the name would suggest, was a record or a chronicle of a vast span of history, starting with Adam and going right through to the exile, pointing forward to the coming of the Messiah. And so that is why the scrolls ended with Chronicles. Um, and I realize this is a whole nother sermon, so I'm going to press pause there. Shall we pray? Uh, and I encourage you to, as I pray, to ask God to speak to you and that through this, these words over the coming weeks, we together would draw closer to God, return to the Lord. So let's ask him. Father, we thank you that we are able to be here today to open your word, to read your word in public, to hold a printed Bible. Thank you that these words speak and shape our lives today as much as they did thousands of years ago. And so through these words, Lord, may we grow in our love for you. May we draw closer to you. Shape us and mould us, grow us in our faith. Help us to come back to these words during the week, not just look at them today and forget about it, but to be feeding on these words throughout this week in ways that will glorify you. So grow us as disciples, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Today is our wedding anniversary, Liz and myself. I know, I know, you're very kind. Uh, there is a slight issue, which is Liz is not actually here. Um, but she, she's not backsliding, she's in with the children, helping in the children's group. Um, so on the 22nd of October 2005, I married Liz Springford. And uh, today is our 18th wedding anniversary. And uh, I know, thank you. And. Um, <laughs> Just for accountability's sake, we did go out for a romantic meal last night. And amazingly, can you imagine this? Somehow, we managed to eat and get back in time for the rugby at 8 o'clock. <laughs> Astonishing how these things work out. Um, but whilst today is our wedding anniversary, happy anniversary, my love, wherever you are, um, on one level, you know, it, it is just another day. But actually, on another level, it is an important day because it's a day for Liz and myself to remember and to mark the fact that we do love each other, <laughs> you'll be glad to hear. And I realise increasingly the danger in, certainly in marriage, actually probably in any relationship, is that we begin to take one another for granted and we begin to look at the faults in one another rather than the good in each other. And we end up coexisting 
and we find that our love is not quite what it once was. And this is the warning that God is giving to his people through Malachi. That they risk drifting from their first love. Now, some of you may have heard of the Shema. It's uh, a Jewish prayer. It's really at the heart of the Jewish faith. And Jews will pray this prayer every day, twice a day normally. And it is um, rooted in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where we read, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. It's, in fact, the words that we've just been singing a few minutes ago. But for the Israelites in the early 5th century BC, they'd returned to Jerusalem, as I'd explained. They had their new temple. Their expectations were high, but their love had drifted for God. Their hearts had drifted elsewhere. And so God speaks through Malachi. His name means messenger. Now, if I were to ask you, which, by the way, I am asking you, what one word would you use to describe God? What would you say? And I want you to think for a minute. One word that you would use to describe God. So just turn to each other, and if you're watching at home, turn to someone or speak it out loud. Uh, and, but here, just turn to each other and just share that one word. What one word would you use to describe God? This shouldn't take too long. That's definitely more than one word. Now, you might, have, you might have come up with merciful or powerful or forgiving or just or holy. And, uh, you know, this is not a, a sort of a test, by the way. All these words would be correct. But have a look at verse 2 of Malachi chapter 1. Verse 2. God's opening words to his people are, I have loved you. The Apostle John reminds us God is love. And some of you, probably all of you, including me, need to hear this today. God loves you. God loves you. God deeply loves each and every one of you. And if you're not convinced, I just want to speak these words over you. Isaiah 54, God says, My steadfast love shall not depart from you. Jeremiah 31, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Zephaniah 3, the Lord your God is with you, and he will quiet you with his love. John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
and Romans 5, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you. And the question is how we respond to this love. Do we say, God, we are confident in the love that you have for us, for me. We praise you, we worship you, we give you our lives and all that we have. Or do we say, really, God, do you really love us? Do you really love me? And if you have a look at verse 2, this was the response of God's people at the time of Malachi. God says, you ask, how have you loved us? They're questioning God's love. And then God replies in verses 2 to 5. And these verses need a little bit of explaining, so listen in, please. Verses 2 to 5. God is reminding his people in verses 2 to 5 that he graciously chose the family of Jacob, their ancestor, to become the bearer of God's promises, and that he chose Jacob instead of Esau, Jacob's twin brother. Are you with me so far? That, that's, that's enough nods, I'll keep going. Esau's family, as we know and as we read here in verse 3, came to ruin. And God is saying, this is one foundational example of how I have loved you, God's people. Pointing them back in history to the ways in which God has led all his people in order to fulfill his promises. His promises that his people would flourish, his promise that his people would be a blessing to the world, that they'd be a light to the nations, reflecting God's goodness and faithfulness to everyone around them. And this is about God's sovereign plan over God's world and God's people. In God's sovereign plan, God chose Abraham out of all the people on the earth. And then he chose Isaac over Ishmael. He chose Isaac's son Jacob over Esau. And he chose the Israelites descended from Jacob as his chosen people. You know, fast forward and we come to Christ on the cross and the resurrection and we read in 1 Peter that you and I as Christians, little Christs, disciples of Jesus, are God's chosen people. That's what it says in 1 Peter. Now, I think it's fair to say all of us are trying to get our head around this, of God's election and God's sovereign plan. You know, why? Why one over another? We may not fully understand it. We may not like it. We may struggle with some of this. But this is God's sovereign plan as we read it in Scripture. And if we're really going to wrestle with some of this, Esau was probably a better man than Jacob. After all, Jacob deceived his father, as you remember, to get the family blessing. Esau was angry and he eventually forgave his brother. The truth is, both of them, both of these twins, were sinful. They both did wrong and they both did right. And that's probably true for you and me, isn't it, in our lives? 
And the Apostle Paul reminds us that God chose Jacob over Esau before they were born. This wasn't God deciding in the moment based on what they'd done who would receive the blessing. This was decided before they were born. It was God's sovereign plan. And so coming back to the Israelites in Jerusalem at the time of Malachi, God is saying, if you want to know how much I've loved you, look at everything that I have done throughout history to guide you, to lead you, to raise people up around you, that you would be, a ble- you'd be blessed and be a blessing to others, starting with Esau or Edom, who are the same person. In verse 5 of Malachi chapter 1, if you have a look at it, and I'm going to read the message translation, because sometimes it's helpful to hear one and read another. This is what it says in the message translation, verse 5. God says to his people, yes, take a good look, and then you will see how faithfully I have loved you. And you'll want even more, saying, may God be even greater beyond the borders of Israel. The opposite of love is not always hatred. Sometimes it's apathy and indifference. And as I've been immersing myself in this book of scripture and rereading these words, I've been drawn to those quite harrowing words that the Lord spoke to the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation, where he says, you have walked away from your first love. And the truth is, we can go to church, we can come to church, we can call ourselves Christians, we can go through all the motions, you know, we can serve and give and be part of a small group. But just like a marriage where two people can risk coexisting, our love for the Lord can ebb away. And we can become overly familiar with this truth that God loves you. And we can take it for granted. Maybe you've been going through a really difficult time in your life recently and you've been asking this question, God, do you really love me? Because what I've been going through has been really difficult. And it doesn't feel like you love me at the moment, God. Where are you in all of this mess that I find myself in? But things were far from perfect for the Israelites at the time of Malachi. This dream of returning to Jerusalem, of the new temple, of seeing all of God's blessings being worked out in them and through them, didn't quite work out as they thought. And actually they were resentful towards God and they had walked away from their first love. I can say this because I wasn't quite sure whether any of my children would be here this morning, but um, it is a bit like parenting. You'll understand what I mean. You know, we can tell our children 
as many times as we like. I love you, I love you, I love you. But sometimes they look at us with that sense of, really? Do you really love me? I'm not sure. God had brought his people out of slavery in Egypt. He'd fed them in the desert, raining down manna from heaven. He led them out of this exile from under Babylonian rule. But the problem was in here. Their hearts were as hard as ever. And you and I have even more reasons to thank God for his love because we stand this side of the cross and the resurrection. We know how God has fulfilled his promises in Christ, sending his one and only son to take our place, the sin of the whole world upon himself, to rise again and conquer death. But I realize the older I get, this is still the problem. My heart. You know, there's a sense that we have been saved. We are continually being saved. And one day we will be in Christ when he returns, fully saved forever. But we're in the middle and we're still being saved, transformed, renewed, being made holy. And we quickly forget God's goodness whether it's through apathy and indifference or the challenges, the battles we face in life, and we risk losing our first love. I often think when I read the book of Revelation and those words spoken to the church in Ephesus, what would, what would the Lord say to Greyfriars and New Hope? What would he have to say about us, about you and me, about our walk with Jesus every day of our lives? What would he say about our love for him? Because this is the heart of what it means to be a disciple. This is the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. God's love for you and for me is unending, unconditional and unchanging. How we respond to his love does change. And I realise the more that I speak to colleagues who are leading churches around the country, even in conversation with LICC, where I'm now spending a few days a week, God is stirring his church. There is no doubt about it. And it is in this area of discipleship. You know, churches can do all manner of things, but actually we've got to be a, a place where we make disciples, we grow disciples where we, we're maturing in the faith. And at the heart of that is, how are you and I doing loving Jesus? What is our prayer life like? What, is our, our quiet, what are our quiet times like? How is our heart when we sit before God? Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. That is it. Boil it all down to what is all of this actually about. It starts with you and me responding to God's love by wholeheartedly loving him.
and we're different people. You know, that expression of that love will look different. But only you know and only I know when the Lord looks into our hearts how we're doing in responding to his love for us. Verse 5, God says, take a good look and then you'll see how faithfully, how faithfully God has loved you. And so I want to give us an opportunity now just to be still. And I know I sound like a stuck record, but I just invite you to close your eyes because it will avoid distraction, if nothing else. You don't have to. But I just for a moment, for you to remember, which is what God was saying to the Israelites, remember how I have loved you. Remember how I have provided for you. Remember how I have stood with you. Remember what I have done in Christ to save you. Remember that I am with you every day. Remember that my love to quieten you is with you right now. And so, Lord, we pray in this moment of stillness. We want to take a good look and to see how faithfully you have loved us. Lord, we acknowledge before you today that you are a good, good Father. We don't always understand your sovereign plan, Lord. We certainly don't always understand your timing. But with childlike faith, we say today that we are so grateful. For your love for us, that you are in control, even when the world looks totally chaotic. Thank you that you have a sovereign plan, and that in some strange way, Lord, we are part of that sovereign plan as your people. And so, as we look forward to this week, Lord, would this reminder of your love for us and how we respond to it not just be something for Sunday, the 22nd of October, 2023, but would it mark and shape 
everything we do this week. That out of your love we would be your disciples, your followers, your light in this world. Carriers and bearers of your peace and your mercy and your grace and your justice. Through the words we use, the prayers we pray and the actions we take. And I'm aware that the more we look to God and his goodness, the more I am aware of my own sinfulness. And I'm going to lead us in a a short prayer of confession. And the response at the end of each section when I say, Father, forgive us, the response is, save us and help us. So I will say, Father, forgive us, and we will say, save us and help us. Let's pray. God our Father, we come to you in sorrow for our sins, for turning away from you, for not loving you as you want us to love you, for ignoring your will for our lives. Father, forgive us, save us and help us. For behaving just as we wish without thinking of you, Father, forgive us, save us and help us. For failing you by what we do and think and say, Father, forgive us, save us and help us. For letting ourselves be drawn away from you by temptations in the world around us, Father, forgive us, save us and help us. And for living as if we were ashamed to belong to your Son, Father, forgive us, save us and help us. And Lord, having confessed our sins, we thank you that you are merciful. You are full of mercy. This is the thread running through the whole of Scripture. Slow to anger, abounding in love. And we thank you that through Christ's death and resurrection, you now wash us clean, renew us. So, Lord, continue that work of salvation in us, that sanctification, that we would grow as your disciples and live our lives out of the love that you have for each one of us. And as we stand now and respond in worship, Spirit of the living God, move amongst us. Seal your love in our hearts and commission us out of here, Lord, that we would live and study and work for your glory as your blessed people that we too would be a blessing to this world. In the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.